0: Uh, Dory, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you very much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it.
1: Uh, thanks for inviting me to be on your podcast. It's an honor.
0: Nice. Awesome, man. So I, I kind of spoke to you a little bit just before we started there. Uh, your name has come up so many times in the last two years. It is absolutely crazy. Now, I know you from a, a, a strongman coaching background, but you are also an extremely competitive uh, and successful powerlifter. I've also been doing a little bit of digging as well. You also were a Commonwealth level uh, Olympic weightlifter as well. That was correct?
1: Uh, yeah, I started my career off doing Olympic weightlifting. Um, I've probably done that for nearly 15 years. Um a high point in that career, I won the Commonwealth Games in 2002. So I won um, Golden Snatch, Golden Clean and Jerk and Golden Total. And I think now the um, records I set in 2002 still stand today.
0: That's absolutely crazy. So what what made you step away from that platform and move on to focusing more towards powerlifting stuff? What was the big transition? Um, that's
1: quite an interesting question. In 2004, just before the Olympics, I was training to qualify for the Olympics. So I trained really hard to fly out to the Ukraine to compete for a Commonwealth qualifying place. Um, and GB only had one place at the time, and they were going to select that place based on, like, um, equivalent of like a wilk score so pound for pound the strongest lifter would go to the um, olympic games so i thought i was in a really good position to do that so i was training hard for that then i flew out to the ukraine and then when i got there they said i'll be basically it now whoever gets the highest place in europe in their weight class will go um i got there and someone competing in the 64 kilo class which there wasn't very many lifters at all so um the lifter was pretty good that got selected for the games, but he finished like fifth in the 64 kilo class when there's probably only ten lifters and about two of them bombed. So he got quite a high place based on that. I was in the highly populated 105 kilo class, and before I stepped on the platform, I knew I wasn't going to go to the Olympic games. So for me, it was pretty much over then.
0: That's mad. So how old are you when 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 this is all happening?
1: And um, when this all happened, I was probably about 27, maybe 28. Okay,
0: so is is it a case of that if you were to to come back, uh, at a, could you compete in a different weight class, or was it is the jump literally from the, the sixty kilo up to one hundred and five? Could you not no, have dropped got down a, or grow, or gone up to a, a less populated class, or does it not work as easily as that?
1: Um, there's uh, quite a few weight classes in weight um, weightlifting. So really, this, there's um, if, pretty much like powerlifting. There's probably about ten different weight classes. Mm-hmm. So I could um, 105 kilos in my comfortable class. I could have probably went and lifted super heavyweights, but that wouldn't have done me any good anyway. But my natural class at that particular time was 105 kilos. So
0: did you feel like the transition from Olympic lifting across to powerlifting was kind of out of necessity for you to kind of get out of this kind of pigeonhole that you've been put in where you're stuck in this very overpopulated class as an extremely experienced and good lifter, but you're never... Able to get the platform necessary for you to be able to show and shine yourself out on a, out on a big stage?
1: Um, the way it really came about for me starting powerlifting was when I first started Olympic lifting, I was the only weightlifter in the gym, and there's was predominantly powerlifters in the gym, so I always had powerlifters around me, so I knew a lot about the sport. But when I was training in uh, Max and Gyms Langley at the time, the British champion, the equivalent of my weight class, I used to train there. And someone just walked up to me in the gym one day and said what's happened if you um, compete against them in the competition? I thought you know this is quite an interesting prospect here, um, I'll just give it a go. So i had done my research on the internet There's only really like multiply powerlifting back then in terms of what suits to buy and everything else. So I basically just started from there, taught myself how to use a multiply suit and then went along and competed in the qualify for the B- um, BPC. So I finished second at the qualifier, which, well, it was okay for me, but I, I were not particularly happy. But then six <laughs> weeks later, I went along to win the British.
0: Mad, that's crazy. So, did you jump straight into uh, equipped lifting, or did you did you start off with with uh, with with raw lifting and then move across, or did you start off with equipped and then kind of move back to raw?
1: Um, back in those days, there was no raw lifting at all. It was all equipped. Um, If you were the competed raw in a competition, basically people would probably just look at you and laugh at you. So there's literally no classes for raw lifting. There's only like um, single ply powerlifting, which would have been in the um, baller or the equivalent of the GPPF or British Powerlifting now. And then there was multi-ply powerlifting in the BPC. But um, when I sort of done my research and started looking into it, the lifters in the BPC um, and that sort of world of that were more inspiring to me because there was a lot of the West Side guys who were competing in the world of powerlifting, and he had guys like Steve Goggins who was the first man to do a 500 kilo squat. Then when I saw that, I, I was just blown away, and I thought this is what I want to do.
0: That's mad. So when you first came into powerlifting, what were your kind of what were your goals going into it? Was this kind of something that you were kind of going to say just like you did with your Commonwealth lot? Like, I'm going to take this as far as I possibly can. and we like, I'm just going to dip my toes, see where I come in my first competition, kind of feel it out. Like, you, do you have that hyper competitiveness where you're like, it doesn't really matter what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it balls to the walls. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability regardless.
1: Oh, back then it was um, balls to the wall. But when I originally <laughs> first, all I wanted to do really was a 400 kilo equipped squat. And then when okay. I eventually, I thought, you know what, this ain't really a big deal. I want to sort of push this a little bit further and see where I can take it. And then just carried on from there really and never looked back
0: that's mad so how do you feel kind of from well well throughout your lifts and your career and kind of your age now how do you feel you are with equipped versus unequipped lifting do you prefer to do one more than the other now do you find that one uh, is better suited to you i hear a lot of people say you know just necessarily not necessarily because you're good in Uh, A suit you know necessarily good raw and vice versa you could have people that are good raw lifters that aren't necessarily very good equipped lifters
1: Um, I'll answer that question with uh, just a quick analogy between raw and equipped lifting so if you went out there and you compared the pole vault to the high jump that's what the difference is basically the pole vault you use a piece of equipment to go over the bar and high jump you don't use any equipment to go over the bar and that's the same thing with raw and equipped powerlifting So basically, you're jumping over a bar, but you're just using two different methods to do it. And they're two very, very different sports.
0: So when it comes to equipped lifting, would you say that is it a a case of what the equipment is being used? Or is it the lifter? Or is it the combination of both? Like, what, what, what is it?
1: It's the combination of both. Um, you can't just put a, a lifting suit on and think, you know what, well, I'm going to actually put another 50 or 60 kilos straight on top of my squat. The first time you put a lifting suit on, it hurts and it feels so uncomfortable and it's very off putting. It's one of those sort of things you've got to persist with and actually learn how to use the suit, and that just takes time. Um, one of the big differences between equipped lifting and raw lifting is if you lift equipped, Basically the smallest mistakes or technical mistakes you make you get punished very, very badly for. Um, in the raw lifting you can kind of get away with a little bit more in terms of technical errors.
0: So when you look at your, your, your raw lifting, is it a case of that you find that the sloppy lifts can get through easier? Because like you just said there, like whereas with the equipped lifting you just you can't you can't you don't have that breadth to, to, to kind of yeah. work with it, you don't have that chance.
1: Yeah, you don't have the margin for error. So, for example, if you're just doing a raw squat and you got a little bit of forward lean, you could probably get away for that and compensate for it in another area. But if you've done that with a suit on and you've got a little bit too much forward lean, you'll end up the suit will just basically pull you forward um, and pull you out of a line. You end up with a failed lift. And bear in mind, the weight's going to be significantly heavier.
0: So, um, obviously you know you train a lot of athletes that aren't necessarily just powerlifters like I've spoken about you you train powerlifters I know various different strong men who who you coach with your your training and your methodology is it very much a case of it's it's a case-by-case case, uh, kind of practice. Is it a case of that you kind of get all of your athletes to perform certain aspects of, of your training style? How do you tend to operate that across all your different platforms?
1: Well, everyone's an individual as far as I'm concerned. So when I've actually seen that person lift, um, see how frequently they can train, what their recovery is like, how much volume they can handle, then the training program's tailored for them. I don't just give down like a watered down version of my own training program to people to follow cuz that just wouldn't work
0: 100%. So when you're looking into uh like powerlifting athletes uh what would you say are kind of main areas that you tend to find keep creeping up with kind of weaknesses and deficiencies? You know, is it a case of the vast majority of people are weaker through the hammies or the quads or is it a lower back problem or is it just technique with a lot of people? What do you tend to find keeps on cropping up for you?
1: Well, I think um, technique and muscle muscle weaknesses work hand in hand. So if you give like an example, if you see someone deadlift and everyone can relate to this very well, They can do a deadlift when the weight's really nice and light, they can maintain perfect form, their back can stay nice and straight, they can keep their hips down, and they can pull away, and they look really, really good. But as soon as the weight gets a little bit heavier, the form starts breaking down, so they start rounding their back, or their knees will cave in, or their hips will shoot up. Those technical errors just come down basically to weak areas in the the body. So if you address the weaknesses so they can maintain better technique, they're going to be stronger in the long run. But what a lot of people is, they don't address those weaknesses. What they do is say deadlift week after week, month after month, and wonder why they're not improving. They're not improving because so they're not addressing their weaknesses.
0: So would you, in that instance, so let's say that you have kind of everything that you've said there is is the case, and they're kind of the, they're getting around the back and the shoulders are roll, rolling forward. Would you then, as a coach, say? okay take the deadlifts out because you're unable to perform these to a high enough standard and just work on these accessories or would you say okay let's take the deadlift down go a little bit lighter and then we're going to really focus on these accessory key points to build up i don't know uh, the muscularity in your upper back and traps to hold your shoulders back or kind of working on your core strength to be able to maintain better posture through the lower back like how would you go about doing that
1: I think you have to address it on everyone's individual needs because you've got to bear in mind a lot of people are quite impatient. So, if I took the deadlift out of their program completely, they'd get very impatient and wouldn't basically want to follow the training system. Also, if I made the weights too light um, for them, they'd probably basically lose motivation to train and push themselves. So, what I tend to do is do it over a much, much longer term period. So, what you'll find is I'll address the weaknesses and I'll basically start off with a nice weight at the beginning of the training cycle and actually build up to a max. But you notice every training cycle they peak, each time it'll get a little bit better each time. So after three to four training cycles or training blocks, you notice the technique will be able to maintain it a lot better at the heavier weights. No, you stupid. can't just sort of drop the weights right down. So it's just people haven't got the patience for that.
0: It's interesting that you said that the patients, people don't have the patience. Although people don't have the patience, is it what they should be doing? Or is it a case of the... Although they should be doing it, they know that they don't want to do it anyway. So you're just going to work around that, regardless, and just take it out of the equation for them.
1: Yeah. What people should do is learn to lift correctly in the beginning, (laughs) and they wouldn't take a step back to actually address all these problems. But what I tend to do, if the techniques we just work to a point where the weight's heavy enough and it's challenging enough, where they can maintain the technique and work to that point, but you find when you address the weaknesses. Every time you go that little bit heavier, okay, you might get a little bit of technical breakdown, but every training block is a little bit less. So you actually perfect over a much longer term period, rather than trying and to try and fix it in one go. And also, you take the feel of the heavy weights away from people, so then start losing confidence that way as well. So I'd still build them up. So what I'd do is make, look for like small changes every training cycle to, in terms of maintaining their technique. And then you find over a six-month or a year period, basically their technique will improve significantly and uh, still keep the feel for lifting the heavier weights.
0: Yeah, 100%. Now, when it comes to someone like yourself who is obviously an incredibly experienced lifter, you're an incredibly successful lifter and you're incredibly strong, how do you then go about doing that for yourself? Do you have a coach? Do you just record yourself and critique yourself? How do you, as, as, a, as a man who is... Uh, you know at the upper echelon of his sport how do you go about doing that
1: well what I do I pretty much record all of my sets and I review them in between sets and then if there's something I'm not quite happy with on my following set I aim, aim to improve that um, but with me I've got far less sort of muscle weaknesses than the other other people would have and mine would be more sticking points so then we find there's more lifting variations coming into play to actually strengthen that position, rather than basically working on weaknesses to bring your maintain your technique. Like if I fail a deadlift, for example, I won't fail because my back's rounded or my knees have caved in or my hips have shot up too fast. It would just happen literally because I've hit a sticking point within that lift I need to address.
0: 100%. So for yourself, would you then take? take go down and the weight from there find the sticking point and then work through the sticking point and then build back up or do you just kind of again just work around that sticking point with your lifts kind of doing like your pause deadlift or or maybe something from uh higher up the shin or kind of knee height something like that like a block pull
1: yeah i'll be using more sort of like um pause deadlift deficit deadlifts um use accommodating resistance like bands and chains those are always good as well for those sort of sticking points so i bring those tools into play a lot more
0: and uh, when it comes through to to your coaching obviously when you get into bands and chains and stuff you're kind of looking at the more technical end of, of of the scale do you tend to get a lot of your your athletes working with bands and chains where possible or is it a case of that for a lot of them just doing the, the, the gym work and the lifts and ma- making sure their squat is a thousand percent and making sure that their bench is this and that their deadlift is that is enough for them?
1: Yeah, what I normally do is basically working on the technique of the lifts, bringing some basic variations into play. And I don't throw all the tools I have at them straight away in one go. So what you do, you use one of your tools. When they hit a plateau, then you've always got other things to add into the equation they're training But what a lot of people tend to do now, they've got the internet, so all the bands, chains, and speciality bars, rather than to save those when they hit plateaus, they'll be using all those things from day one the minute they start training. So So, you take a lot of the sort of tools away that you can actually use to break through plateaus with.
0: So that's a really, really interesting point that, that you've kind of made there. So you feel that for a lot of lifters now, it's a case of that because there are so many tools out there, rather than getting getting as good as they possibly can first, they're kind of jumping the gun, maybe only getting 60% there, then introducing other factors like bands and chains and ball presses and other different technical factors, which is then taking them surpass where they were, but they hadn't unlocked their full potential before they got there. So is that is that kind of what you're saying is happening now?
1: Yeah, well, well they just haven't built a good solid foundation and spent enough time doing the main lifts to actually learn to lift correctly and get themselves as strong as possible, performing just the basics. Because what you need to do before you do anything in your advanced things, you always need to get the basics right and then build on that.
0: So, why do you think that is? Is this just a, an impatience thing? You know, people are seeing people on Instagram lift, uh, you know, squatting five hundred kilos in sleeves now, and everyone feels like they they should be there in a couple of years of lifting. Is it an impatience thing? Is it people are just silly with their programming?
1: it's a little bit of both to be honest everyone wants to run before they can walk so they want to be the best they could possibly be or to lift the biggest possible weight but i don't think how they're going to lift it and how they're going to lift it long term because you can get out to relatively big weights quite quickly with some cases but if you don't learn to lift correctly and actually condition your body to lift those big weights you're not going to lift for very long so your career is going to be ended before it starts so if you just take your time and build, the duration of your career will be a lot longer. And if the longer the duration your career is, then most likely you're going to be stronger for it.
0: A hundred percent. So that's, yeah, that's, that's a very interesting point there. So what do you tend to do for your kind of recovery and looking after your body long term? What sort of things do you implement into your kind of training cycles or deload cycles or recovery cycles that you use to keep yourself in shape?
1: I have regular D loads in my training programs. That's always key. Uh, always make sure my sleep's really good, my diet's good as well. Because everyone looks at all these fantastic recovery tools out there. Let's go and have a an nice bath or um, various other things, but they haven't got their basics right. So the basics are if you sleep right, you eat right, you're going to have much more optimal recovery. And then the other tools just make the a small percentage increase on top of the basics, but nothing's going to be sleeping and eating correctly.
0: So uh, so do you kind of, do you have a minimum amount of sleep that you aim to get each night?
1: Um, yeah, my sleep, I, have, I probably sleep probably at least seven to eight hours a night um, minimum. And if I have a bad night's sleep, it's probably a little bit less than that. But on average, I'll be getting seven to eight hours sleep a night. So if I have one bad night's sleep, it's not really going to affect me that much. If I have two or three in a row, then that's going to affect my performance significantly. Yeah, so all it, is, all it is is what you do on a more consistent basis rather than just one-offs.
0: 100 percent. And with your nutrition, uh, do you, uh, do you follow kind of uh, a strict regime in terms of your your calories you're consuming? Do you follow strict macro patterns? How do you operate your nutrition?
1: Um, mine's more instinctive now. I've done in the past when you sort of um, follow macros and everything else, but I always make sure I get a good solid base of protein um, and got a good amount of carbs to actually fuel my workouts and then sort of build the best resting around that. Um, I don't really eat a lot of junk food or anything like that. Um, I do, but I eat everything in moderation. So if I do eat like um, junk food, it would be once in a while or a little bit in conjunction with my normal diet. So with me, everything in moderation works best and you can keep those sort of things going much more long-term then.
0: 100% sure, yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. So with your nutrition, I guess, from a powerlifting standpoint, if you're working just within weight categories, do you tend to find that people get quite lax with their nutrition? Because, you know, it's, it's a case of, oh well, I don't have to worry about weighing this weight until kind of 12 weeks time, et cetera, et cetera. And then people are getting down to the last week and they're going, oh, I'm still kind of two, three kilos over, and I need to shed this weight before I step on stage.
1: Uh, yeah, sometimes. I think powerlifters get sloppy in the nutrition. You get a lot of schools of thinking. You get certain powerlifters just eat and eat and eat, put more and more body weight on just to lift bigger weights on the bar, which that's not really going you, to you, help your health for long term. So if your health's going to be pretty poor, you're going to limit what you're going to do later in your career. Um, then you get the other side of... Um, where people basically would just manipulate their body weight um, so they're competing in classes which are less uh, competitive, so they take the easiest options. So what they'd literally do is maintain their sort of weight at a certain level and then do big weight cuts to avoid um, stiffer levels of competition. Um, I'm not really a big fan of power lifting they have like 24-hour weigh-ins where you can weigh in 24 hours before. Um, that just gives people like too big a scope to lose too much um, much larger amounts of body weight. So you get someone who competes in, say, a 100-kilo class, and they say, yeah, my Wilt score is this based on 100 kilos, or I've, I've squatted this, which is the British record, at 100 kilos. Yeah, okay, you've done that, but when you actually stepped on to lift that weight, you probably weighed 110, 112 kilos. So I'm not a big fan of that side of things. So I think with powerlifting, I think you need to sort of, you have your optimal your body weight you start out at, and as you get stronger over time, you find your weight will naturally increase. So you develop muscle over time. So you need to work with what your body's telling you in terms of that, not just sort of force feed yourself to put weight on or starve yourself to take weight off.
0: So do you like your athletes to be kind of on the leaner end of the spectrum? So you're kind of encouraging more of that kind of that will pound for pound kind of strength rather than kind of, well, I mean, I can speak for this because I kind of spoke about it jokingly with Ben uh, the, the other day on the podcast saying that there's kind of this notion within strongman that it's kind of, it's okay to be fat because it's part of the sport, but that's kind of very, very quickly kind of getting crushed out because the aesthetics is coming in there. So do you tend to find that you want your athletes to be as lean as possible before they start to put on that kind of uh, strength and, and, and size?
1: everyone's a little bit different in terms of sort of what sort of body fat but their percentage their walkout around that um, naturally so some people are naturally very very lean and other people naturally um, store body fat I'm a big fan of basically lift your healthiest weight Um, if you're healthy basically your training's gonna be better you're gonna be recovering better from training you have got less risk of injury And also, you've got to think later on in life as well. Okay, it might be great walking around 180, 200 kilos in your mid-20s to to early-30s, but what happens when you get to your mid-40s and 50s? And that sort of thing. So you've got to think about things, um, what's going to happen later on in life if you do that for too long and the implications behind it. Like, for example, if you walk around a body weight of 180 kilos, think about the stress that are on your kidneys um, and other organs just walking around at that weight. Yeah, um, if you've done that for a long term period, you've got, you're going to pay a price for it. So, uh,
0: have you been to a point where you felt that you're, that you've been too heavy for what your body should be at and you've stepped back from that because you felt that way or have you kind of got to that point and realized that actually, yeah, I can lift some pretty decent weight and continued on and then kind of reflected back on that?
1: Uh, I've never really forced my body weight up. As I've gone over time with the amount of training and everything else I've done, my weight's naturally always gone up. So when I first started competing in the 110-kilo class, I was wearing 105s and that sort of thing walking in. I never force-fed myself just to pile body weight on. The weight went on consistently over time. like It might have been a kilo here, a half a kilo there, but gradually my weight's gone up over time. I've never really forced it up.
0: And how... Obviously, the, the the idea of you want to have that long term progression throughout your career. So you're consistently gaining, obviously, strength and size, and your body weight will increase. So for yourself, with uh, kind of with the rest of your career, will you increase in in, in kind of uh, your categories that you're going to be going into from now on in, or are you very much comfortable with where you're at now? and you don't really feel like you ever want to creep up with your body weight or your classes?
1: I think my body weight would probably slowly creep up, but to be honest, um, I was competing 110 kilos, and then the weight cut got a little bit too much, and then so I started lifting 125 kilos, so that's like 15 kilos more. Um, My weight's gone up to about 116, 117 now, so I've got um, a lot of scope, so basically small increases, along the way but i can't see myself ever lifting and heavy any heavier than in the 125 kilo weight class um, i can't see that happening
0: and how have you found the jumps from the 110 to the to, to the one is it, you
1: say 120 or 125 one one two five um yeah it's been pretty good my strength's improved and everything else um i'm just i'm not one of these people i'm not interested anymore really in terms of Oh, I'm competing against guys that big and everything. I'm more interested in my own performance and actually um, putting the best performance I can. And if it's compared with the guys in that weight class now, then so be it. Um, if it's not, I'm doing it for me now because at the end of the day, I'm 44 years old now. So it's, I'm just trying to be the best I can be. Um, I've got nothing to prove and I ain't really got to chase anyone. So it's about all about what I want to do for me. And if I beat some of those people along the way, then it's all good.
0: A hundred percent. So that uh, is very interesting that you've gone to that point because I want to talk about that. So with uh, w- with that in mind, what is it that you're going for now? Because am I right in saying you've got, is it the Andy Bolton Challenge coming up soon?
1: Uh, yeah, it's the Andy Bolton Deadlift Challenge Scotland. Um, the main reason I'm competing, to be honest, is just to support Andy's charity. Me and Andy have been friends for a long time and he's been very inspirational to me all over my whole powerlifting career. Um, So just basically more to support his charity. And also, I've just got back from a two-week holiday, which is probably not the best way to sort of prep for a competition. So um, I'm going out there just basically to lift and enjoy the lifting and just help support the charity more than anything else.
0: That's awesome, man. I love that. So do you have uh, kind of key competitions throughout the, the year which you're looking to kind of peak for? Or are you kind of saying, okay, I kind of know what my rough totals are now. I just want to get... This lift to this, this lift to this, this lift to this, and I'll just enter into any uh kind of uh federation based event to legalize the lift, and then I'm happy.
1: Um with me I've got a few goals in terms of competitions, and to be honest, I don't really look at federations, I just want, want to pick like better competitions to compete in, and also where the judging's gonna be pretty good because there's different standards of judging and powerlifting. So for me, I want to compete at um, Tattooed and Strong in March, which is always a very, very good deadlift competition. Um, and it's become quite prestigious over the last few years as well. So I'm hoping if Los li of listens to this, um, Loz, please lift at Tattooed and Strong. I've waited for a long time now to have a rematch of you. So <laughs> he's he's uh,
0: been called out now. That's it. He's going to be sweating. Yeah, uh, so yeah,
1: Tattooed and Strong's always a good one. Um, and they've had a lot of very good lifters lift there over the years um later on in the year i'll probably look at competing at the um abs pro over in ireland which is quite a strict powerlifting competition and also the wrpf european championships are going to be in the uk sometime next year so i'm looking at competing in those two
0: that's awesome and is it a case do you have kind of numbers in your head that you're wanting to hit going into those meets or are you still kind of feeling it out seeing how the body's feeling kind of post uh, vacation
1: and going from there um yeah my, my number one goal above anything else i want to pull a 400 kilo deadlift in raw in powerlifting competition um that's one of my goals and also to squat the 350 kilo squatting knee sleeves and those are my main two sort of goals at the moment i'm sort of working towards
0: that's mad so so what have you what is your closest pull to that 400 previously
1: Um, I've pulled 385 quite comfortably, um, and I've pulled 390 kilos in a seat, but that was quite a few years ago, and I haven't really put a deadlift suit on to do that. Um, My training, I'm a lot stronger now, and I'm a lot technically better now than when I pulled that 385 kilos, so that should jump up quite a lot for next year.
0: And what's what's made that change? What's happened there? Is that just something that you've that you found in and of yourself, a weakness that you kind of have analysed and got stronger at and now that's shot up? Where's that come from?
1: Yeah, um, I I'd I'd had a few hamstring injuries over time and that was probably my biggest limiting factor on the deadlift. So I just spent a lot of time addressing that and actually getting my hamstring stronger. Not so necessarily stronger for anything else, but deadlifting. So purely like a specific hamstring strength for deadlifting. I've been working on.
0: Okay, and was the hamstring were the injuries uh, from powerlifting previously, or was this from other sports?
1: No, from powerlifting. It's uh, it's probably my own stupidity, really. Um, (laughs) I was competing in the World Championships um, quite a few years ago, uh, and I got basically a small hamstring tear on my first attempt. But being stubborn and I wanted to win the competition, um, I, went, I went out and took another attempt to try and win the competition with a torn hamstring where I really shouldn't have done it. Um, I just made things worse from there. So I sort of recovered from that and then had like small reoccurrences along the way. But I've sort of addressed that, so there should be no more reoccurrences with hamstring tests.
0: So how long was the recovery from that?
1: Um, if you look at basically... Starting back, then going back into training and re-tearing it again. The recovery's probably been about three years. That's to actually crazy. get it to 100% to a point where I think my hamstrings are pretty much rock solid and won't go again. So it's taken a long time to address that. Because they've got to a stage where they're pretty strong, but they're still fairly vulnerable. So I've had to sort of really work hard to actually take that vulnerability away.
0: And, and what have you worked on specifically in in order to do that? Is that just is that very much just uh, hamstring work? Is that just whole of your posterior chain? How have you gone about focusing on just that weakness?
1: Yeah, I've worked a, a, I've worked my whole posterior chain pretty hard and made made a bit bigger focus on hamstrings. So I've still been working all the other muscle groups hard, but the main focus been on the hamstrings and the posterior chain, and it's definitely paid off. One
0: hundred percent. One hundred percent. That's awesome. That's very cool to hear that you're kind of that you feel that you're in a position now where you're actually able to put out what you want to be kind of p- pushing rather than being. There's nothing worse than being limited by something that is quote unquote kind of not your fault, uh, i.e. an injury where you can't really push past it because you know you're gonna only just do more damage. So it always sucks to be kind of on the back foot from that. So how um how did you get into Uh, doing your coaching with strongman because obviously strongman and powerlifting people kind of i think tend to bunch a lot of strength sports together but when you look at how static powerlifting is versus a lot of the more mobile aspects of strongman how do you go about programming and looking at an athlete and saying right this is where you need to be strong with strongman compared to your powerlifters
1: well with strongman um the way I've got into coaching Strongman, I'll start with that. It's basically, I've been friends with Graham Hicks for a long time. Um, and then Graham had um, a number of issues where he's had a lot of injuries. Um, he had like an umbilical hernia, which he had to get repaired. And he had to start back from training from scratch because of that. So when he got there, was just before he had the operation, I started working with him. And then he had the operation and we took things like really slow to actually um, build his strength back up. So what we've done before we've done anything else, we built a really good, solid foundation of strength to work with. So over like um, a three-year period, or just a little bit more than three years, the first target was, um, after we come back, is to step on the podium at um, Britain's strongest man. So we achieved that in the, like, the first competition back. The second target was actually move up one place the following year. He'd done that, and then the overall target then was to win Britain's Strongest Man, and he'd done that the following year as well. So he'd done a, basically a long-term structure to actually get him back to that sort of top-end level.
0: That's crazy. So in your head, it was that always the, the, the game plan? Was it a case of that you knew that something like this was going to take kind of the best part of three years for him to get back to where he was because of the severity of the injury?
1: Yeah, it was always going to take long time. and the key thing was just being patient and not rush. Um, and basically just installing that. So what I done is I sent this program with like very specific weights to lift every week. And um, I won't say what weights they were, but in the beginning, even like relatively light weights, or well, what we'd call light weights, were a big struggle to begin with. But as time goes on, his core side functioning correctly after the operation, the strength just um, increased rapidly. And then from there, once Graham Step got um, onto the podium at Britain's Strongest Man then I started to get a contact from a lot of strongman wanting to work with them.
0: 100%. And do you work with those guys through kind of the technical aspects of the other lifts? Because obviously, you know, your squat bench and deadlift, the three of those you could kind of spend uh, a week talking about every technical point of that. But then when you look at that versus a log lift or an axle clean and press or this or a giant circus dumbbell or a Thomas Hitch dumbbell, every single implement then has their own unique balance their unique structure and you have to handle them all very differently so do you work with them on that aspect or do you just work with them from a gym standpoint with their basic lifts
1: what i normally do is basically it's all about strength so i'll just work and get them as strong as possible first and then if you get that good strength base it's easier to move on to the other events because what a lot of people when you see them going to strongman is they don't build a good straight base of strength with their gym training first. They think, you oh, know, I want to try Strongman. Don't really spend a lot of time in the gym just do event after event after event and wonder why they're injured all the time or just not improving at all. So before you do anything, you need a real good strength um, tra- um, base of training. And then once you've got a really good base of training in the gym, then you can build the events in around that.
0: 100%. So for for someone that is looking to get strong for, say, say Strongman, would you uh, kind of follow uh, a certain structure of of kind of a similar training program to kind of your powerlifting, where you kind of have like your push pull days? Are you kind of doing max dynamic type workouts? What kind of thing is is going to be suitable for a for a training cycle for them?
1: And just different stages in training. So what you need to do is work on the sort of base of strength first. I don't really bring a lot of dynamic work into it in the beginning. It's just focused on building a base of strength and actually bringing all their weaknesses up so they've got a good foundation. Once the foundation's built, then you can start adding other things in like dynamic movements, um, conditioning, and everything else. But you have to have that base before you bring everything else into play.
0: Yeah, which is kind of why it's so key, I guess, to to kind of go back and have a look at your 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 sets. Like you say, record everything and make sure that you can see... How you're performing in each of your working sets, see where your weaknesses are, and if you don't necessarily know where where your weaknesses are, obviously that's where kind of gentlemen like yourself come into play, or talking to people that are more experienced than you are in the gym, I guess, is a good good place to kind of see. Okay, well, if I'm falling forward here, where do I need to build up the strength? And then I guess for a lot of people that kind of don't necessarily have the ability to have a coach or whatever, it's a case of going away and working on those those points and then seeing if your form has has improved and kind of going from there i guess it's a lot more trial and error uh
1: yeah and you've got to bear in mind a weakness is a weakness so if you've got a weakness in say a deadlift your hamstrings are going to weaken the deadlift the hamstrings are going to be weak in pretty much all your other movements so if you build a good base and you can identify those weaknesses through other movements and you can address them so when you do go onto the events they're no longer going to be a weakness because at the end of the day, when you look at lifting in the gym, or you're looking at an event, at the end it's all just movement, and it's how efficiently you can get the body to move. So if you can teach someone to move their body efficiently, and say your gym training or other movements, it's easier to transfer that efficiency over to the events.
0: Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I guess yeah, if you can uh, if you can move it better there, then you should in theory be able to move it better out there as well. So yeah it's
1: just easier to learn how to move your body so if you've got a good control over your body when you're going to um say other events it's easier to actually learn how to do those events if you have the right control over your body and have that awareness
0: that's amazing. So with all of these people, you have you uh, ever taken part in any strongman uh, competitions or anything previously? Or is this just literally something that you've just kind of got into coaching through Hixie, and you've kind of built up this reputation as, as well? Uh, 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 coaching some incredibly successful athletes that have done some incredible things in very short spaces of time.
1: Uh, I've always watched Strongman. I was watching Strongman on TV before I even started weightlifting, so um, that's how long I've been a fan of the sport. Um, In terms of sort of just basically um, helping people move, and that's all. It's just understanding the human body more than anything else. So if you can understand how the body works, you can understand how to make it work. Whether they're doing a squat, whether they're doing an overhead lift, whether they're sort of doing um, moving um, with a farmer, it's just understanding how the body works. Um, a lot of people just try and make it, let's say it's other things, but that's all that comes into it. It's just learning about movement.
0: So when you say that, is that from kind of a a very scientific kind of biomechanical standpoint? Do you have like, is, is that how you look at things and kind of say, okay, well, if this is how you're moving here, then if we were to take this and put this into a gym in a very similar movement pattern, the carryover should be very, very similar.
1: Yeah, just, it's looking at what sort of carryover um, a lot of these movements are going to give to the following. So, for example, if you look at um, a variation of a lift, all you're doing each time you do a variation, is looking at how much that variation is going to carry over and make your lift better. So all it is is just using movements that are going to basically make your overall movement bat- pattern better and just teaching your body how to fun- how to use the muscles correctly as well. And if you can do that, if you can move on one event, it's very, very easy to actually transfer that movement to another. All it is is basically over time creating a much bigger awareness of your body.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's something that comes into play uh, with a lot of experiences, understanding how your own body works and understanding how kind of your, your, your own structure of your body works. Because as you said earlier on, everyone's anatomy is so vastly different. You know, my hip socket positioning and your hip socket positioning is going to be different. My torso length is going to be different. Your femur length is going to be different. And your squat and my squat, although it's a squat and we're doing the same movement, isn't necessarily ever going to look the same because we're both built completely differently.
1: Yeah, And that's the key thing to understand. Because what a lot of people do, for example, with a squat, some coaches will say, right, this is the way I squat. I wear wear lifting shoes or whatever it may be, this is the way I'm gonna teach everyone else to squat. And they say, yeah, you're gonna get some people who are very similar to you and they're gonna move pretty well with you and those people you're gonna do very, very well with. But what about the others that are not built like you, who haven't got the same length limbs as you and that sort of thing, and they're gonna have other challenges um, coming ahead when they do a squat. So all it is is not use a one T-shirt fits all, is looking at the individual and think, right, how can I get the best out of this person in the squat or what can I do to actually get the best out of this person in the squad? And that's what coaching is.
0: Uh-huh. You, you summed it up perfectly. That is exactly what coaching is. Yeah, it, it encompasses everything. And it's figuring out what works for the individual. And I think so many people... You know there are so many thousands and thousands and thousands of free programs online to help with strength and to help with power and to help with bodybuilding or muscle building or toning on whatever. But I've said it again and again and again and again and again. Just because that program works for one person, there's always going to be one person that doesn't work for. There's always an anomaly to everything. Not it's there's never a one size fits all. So you have to figure out what works well for your body works well for you and how you live from day to day you know if you're not a professional athlete then obviously the demands in your body is going to be very different to someone like yourself who is living in the gym breathing the gym their job their life everything is about the gym it's going to be a different stress isn't it
1: A 100 percent. you got to take all the facts into play um so, for example, like the workload I can handle, if I just write a training programme for someone else based on that workload, they probably never achieve be able to achieve it. So, I'm not just going to give someone a watered-down version of my own training programme. probably program wouldn't even make it through the warm-up. To look at the individual differences with people, you've got to look at what's their job like? Are they working on the building site all day? So, if they're working on the building site all day, that's one factor you've got to bring into their programme. So, if they are, you've got to bring less volume into the training. It don't mean their results are going to be any any less because they're doing less work. All you're doing is just working their lifestyle factors into um, the training program. Also, look at stress levels. You go through life. Sometimes life is, hasn't got a lot of stress, and then other times life's extremely stressful. So the training programs have got to be adapted based on those stresses put on the person.
0: Yeah, people need to understand that you're not. You're not going to lift at your best every single week because your environmental factors will change all the time, and I think that's the other thing. You know, people come into the gym and they think,
1: "Oh God,
0: like I feel like shit, and this lift isn't going well, and I haven't hit the numbers that I want to," and they don't think, "Oh, it's because I had that argument, and my my job is taking up all of my mental capacity, and this relationship's breaking down here, and I have this money stress and this worry, and my knees aching, and that's taking my focus off." You know, there could be a thousand and one different things that are affecting everyone from day to day, but I don't think a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking about those little things, which might seem like little things, but actually they're they're pretty huge things in the grand grand scheme of things.
1: Oh, without a doubt. Um, what you need to your training programs have to be a little bit more flexible. They can't be so regimented to say, you know, I'm going to walk in the gym and say I'm going to do 200 kilo squat for five sets of five this week. What you need to do, in the actual fact, is actually building the window. So, okay, if I feel really, really good, 200 kilos is going to be the top end I'm going to work to. If I don't feel that great, what's the bottom end of the scale going to be? So you need to work out a scale. So if you say, right, I'm going to have a weight range between, say, 180 to 200 kilos, within that weight range, I'm going to do five sets of five. So if you have an absolutely crap day, you're still going to get your five sets of five, but you just do 180 rather than 200 kilos. Also, one thing people always forget is your body has no idea what weight is on the bar. They don't understand that. Your body only understands stress put on it. So if your body's relatively um, st- um, stress-free and um, there's not a lot of pressure on you, and you feel really good, 200 kilos is going to put only the same amount of stress on if you feel crap and you can do five sets of five at 175. The stress on your body is going to be exactly the same. And your body only responds to the stress that's put on it, so that's one of the things that people always seem to forget.
0: Yeah, it's it's beautiful, and it's something I've mentioned it a couple of times with my clients, and it's kind of you can see a light bulb goes on in their head when they go, oh yeah, actually, it's just it's just the number, isn't it? The body doesn't the body hasn't got a clue whether that's you know. 125 or 127.5 or 135 or 200 kilos it just knows whether it's heavy or light it's and that that's that's the end of that I think that's an awareness that a lot of people need to start kind of implementing into their own training because I think that's probably uh, something that could save a lot of people from injuring themselves when they don't need to injure themselves
1: oh massively that can save you from a lot of injuries and also increase the length of your career significantly as well because at the end of the day if you can keep going for longer putting more volume of work over time you're only going to get better in that duration of time if that time's cut short you're never going to reach a true strength potential
0: yeah yeah 100 percent. so what do you think has allowed you to have the length of career that you've had in this sport at the age that you are with the numbers you're still able to lift now
1: I'm really lucky. Like at the beginning of my lifting career, I started Olympic weightlifting. I had a very, very good coach that taught me technique. And also, I, for example, if my technique was bad, i would be sticking on the same weight. I, I was, for example, on the snatch, I stayed on the uh, 30 kilo snatch for probably 10 weeks without increasing the weight once until I got it right. And once I got it right, and he said, "Okay, you got it right now. Now we can start increasing the weight." So that's I think that's what's given me like the, the, the longevity over my career. And basically patience, if you can stick out like that in the beginning, like when you're a 15 year old kid, and you can sort of like egos coming to and everything else, if you can stick out and learn the lesson there, it's much, much easier to be patient later on.
0: But I love that because it sounds like it's also had a carry across into your coaching style, like the way that you've worked with Graham Hicks and these other guys is that you've said, look, okay, we obviously have this weakness that we need to assess. It's time now for you to get patient, kind of suck eggs for a bit. Let's work on this and then actually in a year's years time, you're gonna be this much better off than you are now or that much better off. It sounds like the exact same thing happened with you. you know, your coach is saying, well, you know, until you get better and until you do it right, I'm not gonna let you progress on because you need to establish the foundation before you can build on it.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of that in lifting and coaching now is lost. I think one of the, um, a powerful tool when it comes to like strength training or strongman powerlifting is the internet. There's masses of information on there. And a lot of it's really good information. But what a lot of people tend to do is rather than look at the real basic bottom of level information that you need first before you go to the advanced stuff, they're just basically skipping all the basics and jumping straight up to the advanced.
0: That's interesting you said that. So what would you kind of recommend that people go out there and research and have a look at? So if you're saying... Let's say we're talking about someone that that is looking to kind of build that foundation. What do they need to educate themselves on before they start getting into
1: it? Before you do anything, is learning how to lift correctly and learning the basics. So before you start even looking at programming um, or anything else, all you want to do is learn how to do the basics. But what people are not interested in that that they're not interested in that anymore. They start lifting. The first thing they're interested in is going out and buying the best pair of lifting shoes or the best lifting belt and that sort of thing rather than actually you don't need none of that stuff to begin. You just need to learn the basics of how to lift.
0: Yeah, it's very much the uh, all, all the gear and no idea culture.
1: Oh, you see that culture? It's getting worse. <laughs> you see that in the gym, every gym like this day and age now. It's Everyone's just got a Everyone's rocking worse.
0: up with like Romellos and SBD belts and SBD sleeves, and yet they only squat like 140 kilos. And you're like, you're you, you're wearing <laughs> you're wearing like 500 pounds worth of kit, and and you're you're squatting your totals like 300 kilos. I don't understand what
1: why you, why you've invested all this money. Yeah. The way it should be looked at when it comes to all that kit, over time, I think, in, in your mind, you should um, earn the privilege of wearing that kit, if that makes sense. So as your skill level develops, uh, as your strength level develops, you earn the privilege of actually wearing that kit. Well, this is um, hilarious. And that's the way i probably more myself.
0: When I started training with my strongman coach, Rob Frampton, kind of, I, I started, and on my first session, you know, I had nothing. I had the most basic equipment known to mankind, and we would go through session by session and he'd say, okay, kind of we're, we're up to scratch with this now, uh, you need to maybe have a have a look at getting this bit of kit to help you on the day. And you know, we would train raw for as much as we could and it would be a case of it's like, okay, we're, we're working up to a very high weight on a yoke, now let's put a belt on. And I think the thing that, that happened for me was I got so strong without the use of any of those things and I went so long without putting any of them on that it came around to using it for like the first time in competition, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is incredible!" And I'm able to put out so much more than I ever would have done before because I wasn't relying on them. I was relying on myself, but they helped the cause.
1: Yeah, and you got to look at, it. for example, I think you hit the nail on the head. Just mentioning your coach's name, that like there, Rob comes from the same generation, like a strength athlete that I do. Um, um basically when we were st- when we started out you didn't get like if you walked in the gym with a flash piece of kit and that sort of thing everyone just ripped you apart <laughs> <laughs> so unless you unless your skill lifting skills and everything are up on point then there's not there's not really much point in having any of it
0: yeah he had always said that you could tell the experience uh, of the lifter by the size of their kit bag and that throughout a strongman career uh athletes kit bag only gets substantially yeah, larger because- and larger <laughs>
1: And it just it grows over time. With your, your kit bag should grow with your experience level um, not the other way around.
0: Yeah, oh, that's so, yeah. it's so, so perfect. I see it so often. It's absolutely hilarious. That's that's brilliant, brilliant, excellent. Right, I'll, um, I, I won't keep you too much longer. I want to end on a question that I ask everyone and I always find it very interesting to kind of see where people are at with things. So I want to take you back and I want you to imagine that you're stepping back in time and you are... You're visiting your younger self. So about 10, 11 years old, you get to spend a few moments with your younger self and you get to kind of give one piece of wisdom, of knowledge, of information to your younger self to help you get through to succeed in everything that you have done to get you to where you are today. What do you say to your younger self to help them get through everything that you've got through to get to where you are?
1: Listen to the people that have got to where you want to get to because they've made the mistakes to get there. If you listen to those and and listen to their experiences and the mistakes they've made, you can avoid making those mistakes and actually get there a lot faster.
0: Deroi, thank you so much, man. I have absolutely loved this. It's been brilliant. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I hope you can come on again sometime. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: It's been an honour. Thanks very much for inviting me. Thank
0: you very much, man. Have a good one.
1: Thank you.